this morning. Like Pastor Quentin said, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of introducing us to a new series today, some new ideas around this idea of establishing some, some healthy habits in our life. And, um, and I'll set it up this way. Um, yesterday, we were on a, we did our, our, our annual sermon planning retreat as a staff where we go away and for a couple of days and just kind of think through the next year for our church and we try to think around ideas of vision and how we become more effective in the ministry of the gospel to the city of Kannapolis. We do that every year. And um, while we were there, I stopped by a little gift shop, a little general store, and I bought this little Christmas tree for my wife. Now we have a, a bigger version of this that sits on our um, little table on the inside of our front door. And I'll tell you why I bought it. I bought it because it's cute. And I find that incredibly disturbing. <laughs> because I am a man and in my estimation of manhood, men, are supposed to know that small living things are cute. You know, babies and puppies and kittens and all that stuff. We're supposed to be able to recognize that those things are cute and that's it. Like everything, like cute should not be in the vocabulary of a man apart from their description of small living things. But I bought a Christmas tree that's small because it's cute. More importantly, I bought it because I knew that my wife would think that it is cute. And the only reason that I know that it is cute is because I've been married to her for 21 years. And because I've been married for so long and I've been in such close relationship with this woman who believes that all small things are cute, I have learned I am changed on a foundational level so that now when I see everyday ordinary items that are really tiny, I know that those things are cute. And I hate that about myself, <laughs> but it is what it is. You see, when we are in long-standing, deep, committed, close, connected relationships with people, they, they change us, don't they? They have an impact on a, on, a, on a deep level. For some of you, for some of you, you, you're married to a person who has radically and on some crazy level changed you at a, at a, at a fundamental or foundational level, right? Like they've, they've changed you. Parents, if you're a parent in the room today, your kids have changed more than just your schedule. But they changed that too. But they've changed more than just your schedule. They've changed you. There's something about being a, a parent that changes you on a level that other things don't have the ability to change for you. And it's because of the, it's because of the, the relationship. It's because of the connection. It's because of the, the long-standing, deep and committed connection, intimacy, uh, personal nature of those types of relationships that that they change us. And if you're, if you're a note taker, I want you to, I want to, want to encapsulate, encapsulate this thought that significant relationships change us on a foundational level. 
And in Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul is going to pull from that idea, from that truth, from that principle to lay out for us some thoughts that apply to our relationship with God. He said it like this, Romans chapter 12. And in the the first verse, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, here's what Paul is saying. That, that, the first phrase there, the I appeal to you, the, another translation that's like, I beg of you. I, I'm, I'm trying to, to be compulsive or, or motivating in my language. I wanna compel you to, to recognize something, to see something, to, 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 to in your own mind, make a, a connection or to, to connect some dots, Paul is saying. I, I, I appeal to you, brothers, And then he's saying this in reference to everything that he has talked about in in Romans from chapters 1 through 11. Romans chapter 12 is is the hinge point. It's not in the, the, the immediate middle of the book, but it's pretty close. Chapters 1 through 11, and for, all, for a lot of us that have been in connect groups for the last several sessions of this year, we've been studying through the book of Romans. And so we've, we actually just read and finished up chapter 12 last week. So this is, I didn't, I didn't mean for it to fall like this. It's just where it happened. A lot of things, it's just some providential work of the, the Holy Spirit there. That, that we have, we've studied up through chapter 12. And so for, for a lot of us that have been in connect groups for the last couple of sessions, Romans 1 through 11 is pretty fresh for us, right? We've talked all about all of the things that we've gotten out of. So as you've participated in me, Tom, as you've studied through the book of Romans over the last several months, every single takeaway that you've pulled from the book of Romans, everything that you wrote down in the books that we give you, that you bring to connect group to share with your group, all of the things that you've written down in reference to Romans 1 through 11, Paul says, in response to all of that, Everything that has been significant to you in the entire letter that I'm writing you up until this point, Paul says, in response to that, he uses the word, therefore, I'll save you the joke, but you know what it is. Like the, because of everything that you've experienced, everything that I've relayed to you from this point until now, Paul says, in response to that, I want you to present yourselves as a, as a sacrifice. Now, for us, when we hear the word sacrifice, that it means something to us. We know what it means to sacrifice. We know what it means to, to, to give up something. But for all of those reading this letter, the, the Christians in the city of Rome to which Paul is writing, in their minds was the sacrificial system of the, the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant. And so in their minds, when Paul uses the word sacrifice here, they're thinking something has to die. When Paul uses the term sacrifice here, death is associated with the idea of sacrifice. But then Paul uses what we can only consider to be an oxymoron in their language because he says, I want you to sacrifice something that still lives. So Paul Paul uses here a term that seems almost contradictory, but it's not. Because Because something does have to die. And it's the old version of self. 
There has to be a death to self to where the body and the soul and the mind still live, but they no longer live according to what they've, how they have existed previous to this, but they are now a living sacrifice. Death to self happens, but life remains. And then Paul says, which is your spiritual worship. And that has a lot of really, that, that sounds good in church. The idea of something spiritual that is worship. And I think it is, it's a very accurate translation of the original language here, but there's an alternative translation that I like just as much. And the alternative translation to the term that Paul uses here for spiritual worship. So let me, let me kind of synopsize it. Paul says, in response to all God has done, I want you to, to, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. And the alternative translation for that is rational service. Look, I, I like feelings as much as anybody. I like, I, like, I like feelings. I like to feel good and I like to feel excited and I like to feel passionate about things. Paul says, this is, this is more than just emotional. Paul says, this is it's rational that the only, the only logical response, and you can write this down, the only logical response to the mercies of God, to everything that we've talked about in Romans 1 through 11, the only logical response to the mercies of God is a surrendered life. That's the only, like, if you really believe, that we, we ask this question from time to time as, as we're evaluating the things in our life, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but as we consider the things that we believe, if we truly believe them, then they translate into some form of action. Belief always translates to action. And here the apostle Paul says, the only rational service, the only logical thing in which you can, the only logical response to everything that we know God has done for us is to offer, to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, a surrendered life, a death to self. The question that's left to be answered then is, okay, I get it. I need to surrender my life. How, right? This is the question that's left. How, how, how do we do that? How is that accomplished? Well, the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul's pretty smart. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. He's pretty, he's a pretty brilliant guy. Um, and he knew that if he's gonna present this as the only logical, rational service to the response of the mercies of God, that he had to give us the how-to. And so in verse two, that's exactly what we get. We get the answer to how we surrender our lives. He says it like this. Do not be conformed to this world, but, or instead, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I think all of us are, um, I think we're all familiar with the phrase or the terminology of the, the path of least resistance. You guys heard that right? We, we, I think we all know what it means, the path, it's the easiest thing. The easiest thing is the path that most people choose and it's, it's the easiest way to get things done. It's the path of, I, I told you, I know you all knew what it meant and then I, I mansplained. Uh, I apologize to the ladies and for the dudes. You probably needed to hear it again. Let's be honest, like we're not as smart as the ladies. So, so men, this is for you ladies. I don't need to explain it to you, but path of least resistance. We will always 
tend in the direction of that which is easiest. And the easiest thing for all of us to do is to, is to follow the, the, the rhythms of the world. That's easy. It's, it's the path of least resistance, conforming, going along to getting along. It's, it's easy to do those things. But I think what Paul is calling us here is to, Paul is calling us to something that's higher. He's calling us to a higher ideal. He's calling us to a, to a higher form of application in response to, I mean, if, if this is, I think this would be Paul's argument. He doesn't say this explicitly in the text, but, he, but I think this, if we're talking about a surrendered life in response to the mercies of God, if that's the, if that's the scope, if that's the scale on which we're thinking, then shouldn't we consider something better something more significant than the path of least resistance? Sure we could. Because there's another principle here at work that we all know. And that is that the things that we value the most come as a result of hard work, discipline, focus, intentionality. Those are the things that have value. And so if we're talking about our response to the mercies of God, then that's a valuable thing. Therefore, the path of least resistance, conformity to what the rest of the world is doing, falling in line with the rhythms of everything that we see and experience in other people. Paul says, that's, that's not good enough. So carefully considering why we do what we do, carefully considering what you do, it's, it's exhausting it's difficult. And I don't think it's the practice of most. I think most of us are kind of just going through the motions, if we're honest. I don't think about what I'm doing today. I just get up and go do it. I get up and go do my job. Like I've done it, and maybe for some of us, you've done it for so long. Like it's, it's like, I'll say, you don't even think about it. You just go and, and do, or school. It's just, all right, it's another day at school, and this day just like the day before. But Paul, he's calling us to something higher because he calls us to a, to a transformed life. He calls us to something different. Transformation requires that I look different than something that I did before, right? If something is transformed, it's no longer what it was previously. And so Paul here, he says, don't conform any longer to the world. Don't, pay, don't follow the path of least resistance, but instead be transformed. And that transformation, Paul tells us, comes through the renewal of our mind. You can write that down. That's right out of the text, but I wanted us to just draw em emphasis and application here. A transformed life is the result of a renewed mind. You can't change the way that you live until you change the way that you think. Hearing someone say something compelling, like, oh man, that sounds pretty good. I agree with that. That's not, a, that's not a renewed mind and that's not a transformed life. It's not a, it's not a I heard this thing one, it's not even a one-time decision, a transformed life and a renewed mind. It's a daily decision. It's a daily focus and an intentionality with the way that we conduct our lives. Right? So, so I think, time to times, I think pastors and maybe even those who attend churches, we think, if I could just preach that one great sermon, it's gonna change somebody's life Forever, And if we're talking about a gospel decision, like if you come in, never didn't know Jesus, meet Jesus, that is a life-changing decision as a result of something that maybe you heard in a sermon. 
But everything after that and every other sermon that I teach and every other thing that we come in here and talk about from the scriptures, those things are daily decisions. When Jesus was referring to the life after him, he said that you had to, to take up your cross daily and follow him. When we talk about a death to self, that's a daily decision. And so our, our renewed mind is not a, oh, there was this one time when I renewed my mind. No, it's, it's, it's not that. It's more consistent and frequent than that. The renewed mind is a, it's a daily process. I'm a... I'm pretty big on the terms like evaluation and awareness. That's kind of my personality. I'm, I'm constantly evaluating things to see if there's a more effective or a more efficient way to do things. And so I, uh, I kind of hang out on those terms of evaluation and awareness. Paul here calls that testing. In verse two, he said that, that we should renew our minds that by testing, the things that we test, the things that we evaluate. And I think that's, that's an accurate use of the term because I think it's true of a lot of people that at least a lot of the ones that, that I tend to meet that don't seem to have a purpose, with their, a purpose for their lives, it, they just seem kind of clueless and unaware. There's no, there's no real direction and I think there's a lot of hopelessness where there is no purposefulness. And so when we re transform our life by renewing our minds, it's, it's different than that. And I think if you'll make evaluation a part of your life, that's the key to renewing your mind. And it's, it's the testing by the will of God that's the filter. And I'm telling you, I think you'll be amazed at how it transforms you over the course of, you, you might not even see it all the time or immediately. It's kind of like watching your kids grow up, right? Like you don't see them grow three, four inches. You just realize that like over the course of the years, you have to move all your breakable stuff higher, right? Like you don't, you, like it, it happens occasionally. Like I forget that my daughters are like growing like she, like Emma walked in the other day. She's taller than her mother now. I'm like, when did that happen? Like, right? Like it was a, it was a week ago, you were like, you know, you're two feet a week ago. And like now she's, you know, she's five, 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 six. Like it just, you don't, you don't notice because it's a, it's a slow process. And I think the process of transformation in our lives, Scripture would call that sanctification as we're being made more and more and more into the image of our Savior Jesus. That really is a slow process. And it, it happens over a long course of time so that we don't, even, we don't even notice that it's happening, but it requires intentional living every single day for it to happen. And that can be, it can be kind of tiring after a while, to constantly be evaluating my life against this, this filter or this testing of does this fit and align with the will of God? But I think if you'll do it, I don't think if you do it, I know if you'll do it, you, you'll, you'll really be surprised to see how it changes you. God really got a hold of my life uh, probably like early 20s for me. I'd been a, I was that church kid growing up. Like my parents took me to church. I was in church. I was in youth group. Did all the, I did all the church stuff. I was saved at a young age. I think that was authentic. I met with a pastor. He thought it was authentic. So I've, I've, I've leaned on that as my salvation experience and decision. But, but over the course of my life, I think it was somewhere in that early 20s range where 
what, what God really got a hold of me. That's the, that's, the, that's the most southern way possible to say that. God got a, God got a, got a, got a hold on me. I just, that's, that's really southern. If you're a Yankee watching this on the whatever, or here or watching, that's how we say it down here. All right, so God got a hold of me. <laughs> I just went straight Southern Baptist preacher there for a minute. It's all good. That's what happened. God began to radically change my life starting in my early 20s, and this was the process. This was actually the verse. Romans 12, 1 and 2 are, are the two verses that have made a tremendous amount of impact on my life because I learned them. Somebody taught me the application, and I began to walk that out. And I began this, this regular and frequent process of evaluating everything that I believe, everything that I do, how I, how I conducted my life, how I treated my wife years later when I had kids, how I, how I would interact with my children. All of that stuff became something that I evaluate through this filter of does this please God or is it in alignment with the will of God? A few short years after I became a pastor, it was at a, a church I was with prior to Fusion. We, uh, we were doing pretty well. Church was growing. We did a lot of exciting and fun things. And uh, somebody, I've told this story before, so some of you have heard this before, but I'll tell it again for I think it's applicable here. Uh, somebody, a mutual, a, a friend of mine, we weren't greatest of friends then, and that'll make sense in a second. Somebody posted on Facebook, Way back then, I don't even think Instagram existed yet. Like, it's been a long time ago. Somebody posted on Facebook, and like, hey, I'm looking for a church in the Kannapolis area to attend. Looking for, trying to find me a new place to go to church. And somebody who attended the church that I was leading then commented on the, the original post and said, hey, you should check out this church. It's awesome. We do a lot of really fun and cool things. And then the guy who made the original post asked, saying that he was looking for a church, he said, oh, no, 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 I'll never go to that church because I know the pastor. And that dude is a real, and he used the word that we're not allowed to use in church, so I'm just going to save you the details. It was not very, uh, very, not very nice and uh, pretty inappropriate, particularly since this is being recorded. Uh, <laughs> the internet is forever. So he used a really derogatory term towards me. And uh, I, I saw the post, and they had tagged our church, and so I saw the, all the following comments. Man, I got mad. How dare you call me? How? No, I'm, you know, real defensive, right? No, I'm not. I'm not that. I'm not, like, you don't even know me. And then I, I, all I wanted to do was, was defend myself. All I wanted to do was tell him about his indiscretions and all the things that I knew that he did that weren't very godly. I wanted to fight back. I wanted to come in and be sarcastic and rude. And, like, I, I wanted to do all of that. Now I realized something. I realized that he was right. He was right. Because I had not seen this guy or been around him in almost 15 years. And the guy that he knew 15 years ago, oh, that dude was a, the thing that I can't say in church on a microphone that's being recorded. I, I was cocky and arrogant and sarcastic. I was all of that stuff. I can't, um, I, why people hung around me at all? I don't even, like, I have no idea. 
buddies from the Marine Corps now that find out that I'm a pastor. They can't, they can't believe it because they, they knew the guy that they were in the, in the Marine Corps with in my 20s before God got a hold of me. They, it's, and so I, I, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of that, that angst and defensiveness and, and, and sarcasm and finger pointing and comparison and you don't know what, just, just melted. And I had this tremendous thing to celebrate because God had, over the course of probably, probably the whole 15 years, had, had transformed my life because I began to filter everything that I think, I say, and I do through this testing that Paul talks about. I tested it against the will of God and I found areas where my life was out of alignment with the things that God calls us to. And I made, I made changes. And the person that I was is not the person that I had been. And so I sent him a message on Facebook. And I said, hey, I saw your post. I saw your comment. Let me tell you something. Man, you're right. You're right. That is who I was. And I don't like that guy any more than you do or did. You're right. But let me tell you this. God has done a great work in my life. I've, I don't know if I use transform, but for the sake of the message today, we'll think that I did. Right? We'll give me credit for being that smart. God has radically transformed my life. And the guy that I am is not the guy that I was. And as much as he's changed me, man, I bet he could change you too. And I would love it if you'd come to church and hang out with us. Come and see. Come and see what the hand of God can do. Come and see what a surrendered life looks like. Come and witness the difference that God makes in our lives when we surrender it to him. And he did. He came to church. And he hung out with us for a couple of years. God transformed his life. He helped go plant other churches. And he's still serving and active as a part of a church in Salisbury today. Because God transforms lives. But only when we're willing to surrender ours, die to self, live as a sacrifice to the Heavenly Father and allow and to, to start how we think to renew our thinking is how we end up with a transformed life transformation had never been clearer for me and I want it for you as well being transformed is hard because it requires attention and focus on the things that most people don't think about and focus on. We just do and we don't think. But Jesus said, if you want your heart, or Paul said rather, Paul says, if you want your heart to be changed, it starts with how you think. Start actually putting thought. Be aware of the decisions that you're making. And so here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want all of us to do. 
I want us to learn how to test ourselves, right? Look, the only way I tested, I I tested what I know to be true about what is cute and what is not. And the only way that I knew what was cute and what was not, because I I, I learned that from, from my wife. And in the same way, we have to have something to test against, a, a, a God-filtered perspective on life. So I started with a point that I'm now going to ask as a question. If, if significant relationships change us on a foundational level, has your relationship with God changed you on a foundational level? Because if your relationship hasn't changed you on a foundation, if your relationship with God hasn't changed you on a foundational level, then that may mean that the relationship needs some work. Is your relationship with God significant enough that it has changed you at the core of who you are. And so I want to, um, I've got three questions that I'm going to ask you to ask yourself at the end of every day. And then I've, I just made a list of stuff that I thought were some areas to kind of help us put some application around this, some handles that we can carry this out of here with us. So let me, let me give you the three questions. And I'm going I'm I'm to, I think these are things that we should We should ask ourselves at the end of every day. Please write these down. Please do this. You want a transformed life? You got to change the way you think. You have to do some evaluation. Here are some, excuse me, here are some questions to help you evaluate. Number one, what did I do today that made God proud? As you, as you, end your day, get to you know, lay your head on the pillow, whatever, recollecting back to all of the, the interactions and relationships and conversations and whatever that you had throughout the day. What did I do today that made God proud? Question number two, what did I do today that disappointed God? Where did I, where did I fail? Did, what? And question number three, where did I miss an opportunity to make gospel impact? As we begin to filter our lives through this idea of living as a sacrifice to God because of my surrendered life, then gospel impact, kingdom advancement, glory of God become the benchmarks for whether or not I'm successful. Doesn't matter how much money I make or how many people think I'm awesome. If I don't bring glory to God, if I don't make a gospel impact, if there is no kingdom advancement because of my life, then I've missed some opportunities that I should have taken advantage of. Where did I miss an opportunity, a conversation? Where did I miss an opportunity to be generous? Where did I miss an opportunity to show kindness? Where where did I miss an opportunity to tell my story? And then here's my list. I'm just going to read it. We make decisions instinctively and subconsciously. And so as often and as much as we're able at the end of every day, we try to recall the things that I made decisions about, small things and big things. 
Here, here's my list. Are there things that you do approve of, take in, immerse yourself in that are impacting you in a way that is outside of God's will? I included things like media, social and mainstream, the music that I listen to, the TV shows that I watch, the movies that I enjoy. Are those things affecting me and impacting me in a way that, that leads me away from what's pleasing and honoring to God? The language that you use at work or at school, the things that you talk about with your coworkers or your classmates. We're headed into election season. This is one of my favorites in my list. What critical thoughts do you have about people who vote differently than you? Do you love them and consider how they ended up at their conclusions or do you just think they're all idiots? Only one of those is the way that God would have us to think about them, by the way. What about your holiday traditions? Brian found a golden calf. Uh, how do you spend your money? How do you spend your money? Do, do you filter how you use your resources through that mentality of glory to God, kingdom advancement, gospel impact? Or is it I earned it, I'm gonna spend it how I want? We'll talk more about that in week four of the series. Who did you blow off today that could have benefited from some of your time? Time's free, kind of. Did you do something today to communicate to your spouse or to your children their value to you? How loved did you make your kids and your spouse feel today because of something that you said or something that you did? Were you lazy at any point today? Rest is okay, laziness, not God honoring. Did you speak to someone harshly today? And that's the end of my list. Just some conversation, thought-provoking starters kind of thing. Here's what I have you to do. For those of us that are in connect groups this week, maybe you could share with your group as you, between now and the time that you get to your group, maybe you could share with your group this week some of the, some of the areas that you're testing right now. I, I don't know if this part of my life is surrendered to the will of God, yet maybe, maybe you guys could help me understand whether it is or whether it isn't. Would you be vulnerable enough with those that have committed to do life alongside of you in a small group? Would you, could you be vulnerable enough to share some of that stuff, ask some of those questions, receive some of that insight from them? And then I'd encourage you to do this in small groups this week, connect groups as well. This, this one I think I'm, I'm really looking forward to for my group. Would you share your transformation story? Would you talk about the, the, the old you versus the current you because of the glory and the grace of God in your life? Could you do that? Could we, could we, could we celebrate the glory of, of God in our groups because of what he's already done. He ain't done with any of us yet. If you're still walking, walking around, living and breathing air, he ain't done. There's more to be chiseled away. There's more, there's more that needs to be done. I'm certain of it. None of us have reached perfection until we get to the other side of eternity. There's still more to be done, but could we, could we spend some time just, just think, actively think. You remember, don't, don't just do actually think that whole, we just talked about it, the whole thing. Like actively think what is different about you now? than a year ago, than five years ago, than 10 years ago, or however long you've been walking with Christ. And if you can't think of anything, maybe you need to come see me.
And let's talk about what a, an actual life surrendered to Christ looks like. Now, that's not, a, that's not a come to the principal's office kind of thing. That's a, man, I want to help you. If you can't point to anything that's different now than five years ago, a year ago, I, I want to I help you. All of our pastors do. All the, and your connector, there's, there's resources here. But if we're not seeing progress and movement from old us to new us, current us, something's missing, something's wrong, something's off. You need to make a course correction because eternity hangs in the balance. And if we can get in the habit, full circle, right? Series title, Harvesting Healthy Habits. Here's your habit. Every single day. What did I do today that made God proud? Where did I fail him? What did I do that disappointed him? And can I identify any opportunities that I missed? If you'll do that daily, it'll change how you think about your life because you're being intentional. And as you renew your mind, your life is gonna be transformed as a result. Let's pray. Father, God, I'm so grateful for transformation. I'm I'm grateful for the move and the work of your hand in my life, in the life of my family and the changes that I've seen in them, and in my church family and the changes I've seen in so many of them. So God, today we celebrate and honor you for the transforming God that you are. God, you take broken things and make them new. You take dead things and make them live. And because of that, Father, we honor you for the restorative God that you are. And we thank you, God, that you, in our sin, God loved us enough to give us a relationship back with you so that we could be restored. And you did that through Jesus, your son. God, I pray that we don't take it for granted. I pray, God, that we're able to look at our lives and see how you've moved and worked and changed for the time that we've walked alongside of you. And God, if there's one here this morning under the sound of my voice, either in the room or watching at a home online who isn't seeing the move of your hand in their life, God, I pray that today would serve as a moment of decision, that they would seek help, that they would turn their life, God, into the turn their, their gaze and their attention onto you And Father, I pray that we as a church, whether that's collectively as a whole, an individual in our midst or a connect group this week, God, that that you would use those connections to begin transforming a new life. Father, we love you and we thank you for the hope that we have in a relationship with you through Jesus, your son. It's in his name I pray, amen. Guys, thanks so much for being here with us today. I hope that it's been beneficial to you. I hope that you're excited about this series. Come back next week. We're going to talk all about comparison and how we can form some habits to keep us from comparing ourselves to other people. We'll see you guys next Sunday.